0: and welcome in to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN.com, and this week we have another exciting, engaging guest on the show. We had a, a great conversation with current Arizona Cardinals center A.Q. Shipley. A.Q.'s a Penn State guy who has been in the league, in the NFL, for nearly 10 years now. And this was a extra unique, kind of extra special episode of the Take 10 Podcast because A.Q. Shipley took this call, took the interview from... A hospital out in Arizona where his wife is expected to give birth in any day now, really. So if you're listening to this right now, is a good chance. Aq Shipley's daughter has already been born, and he was kind enough to take some time, I believe, in a, in a waiting room out there to do this interview, and um, it was a lot of fun. And I certainly appreciate him for taking the time and what is a crazy moment in his life, it's his first daughter. So congratulations to Aq, and we'll get to that interview where we chatted with Aq about Penn State about his NFL career, and some other topics in just a moment. So before we get to that interview with Mr. Shipley, a couple of quick reminders. Please subscribe to Take 10 Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean if you haven't already. So if you're listening on SoundCloud, head on over to those platforms and do that. And if you like the show, please leave a rating or a review. That would be much appreciated. So, One more quick reminder before we get to the interview, we do have a promo code ongoing on the btm.com online store through the Take 10 podcast. The promo code is Take 10, capital T-A-K-E, the number one and zero. And use that promo code to get 10% off any order on the btm.com online store. Plenty of good stuff to be found on there. All right, so with those reminders out of the way, let's get to interview with one of the more engaging, one of the bigger personalities we've had here on the Take 10 podcast Arizona Cardinals center, former Penn State offensive and defensive lineman, A.Q. Shipley. It starts right now. I'm very excited to be joined by a former Penn State lineman. He's been in the NFL for nearly a decade now, anchoring offensive lines as a center. It's current Arizona Cardinals center, A.Q. Shipley, and you can follow him on Twitter at A.Q. Shipley. And this is quite the unique guest appearance on the Take 10 podcast, because as we speak, you're actually out at the hospital in the Phoenix area in Arizona, right, AQ? You're uh, at the hospital because your wife is expected to give birth to your first child in the coming days, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah, it's crazy. It was uh, about one thirty in the morning. My wife wake, wakes me up. She's like, hey, my water just broke and kind of frantic, getting our bags together, getting everything in the car, and head on over to the hospital. We've been at the hospital since 2 a.m., so we're going about 12 hours of you know, pre-labor stuff, just kind of waiting to get her dilated enough to get this get this baby out and uh, introduce her to the world.
0: All right, well, congratulations. Obviously, that's a huge moment, huge moment in your life, uh, your first kid. Are you scared a little bit that your life is about to change forever?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we know the world as we know it is no more, right? And uh, it becomes all about her, and that's kind of um, – Nerve-wracking, I guess, to, uh, to a certain extent, but super, super exciting, and uh, we couldn't be more exciting, excited and happy about this moment.
0: All right, so uh, with that all going on, there's also been a another recent development in your life lately. You got some exciting news. Uh, you grew up just outside Pittsburgh, and you recently learned you would be inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic League Hall of Fame. So as a, as a guy from that part of the country, can you explain to someone who's not from that area what that honor means to those uh to to someone like you who who is from that area of, of the country
1: yeah it was a huge honor there's no question about it I mean I think anybody that grew up in that Pittsburgh area that knows anything about we call it whippy old football WPIL um, it, there's a long story tradition in history of guys that have come out of there and played played long amazing careers in the NFL so um, for, for me to get that nod I mean it, yeah it means a lot it takes me back to my roots and um I attribute a lot of my success to my roots I mean we all know my college career was pretty decorated the first part of my NFL career wasn't so much and so um I attribute it to finally breaking through in the NFL and kind of sustaining success in this league um a lot to my roots and you know being able to put put my nose to the grind hard work and kind of overcome things and um that takes me all back to 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 my days in uh, high school and that that's that's what this this honor kind of means to me
0: yeah so going back to those days were you a Penn State fan growing up
1: yeah so I grew up uh you know maybe 20 minutes from Pittsburgh and um my dad and I yeah I mean it was he my dad grew up I mean he was a huge Paterno fan and um I don't necessarily know if Penn State was like my favorite team growing up. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching them, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, I wasn't like a diehard Penn State fan by any means, but um, just kind of a fan of that Midwestern big-time football and uh, and all the way over to, uh, all all the way over to the East Coast, and that's that's kind of what I grew up watching.
0: So ultimately, what led you to Penn State then over some of those other schools that might have been recruiting you?
1: Yeah, so it came down to Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, three powerhouses in the Big Ten, and three relatively all close close enough to home. Um, it just kind of—I went on a visit up there when Penn State played Nebraska. I think it was an 0-2 or 0-3 maybe. And I think uh, both teams were ranked. Penn State beats them forty-one to seven. Larry Johnson runs has a huge game. Um, but oh, I mean, the game, the atmosphere—I mean, it blew it blew the top off the place. I mean, it was it was it was an outrageous atmosphere and I was like man like and then you start visiting these other schools and you start comparing and that was my first like big time big time visit and um I was like man this is I can see myself playing here I really enjoy this this atmosphere and that's kind of what it all came down to
0: so before all the accolades that you mentioned you know eventually you'd go on to be first team all big ten win the Remington Award as the nation's best center but you played some defense too so what went into those switches and how did you eventually end up only playing offense uh, after having some success on defense as well.
1: It's funny. I mean, I I came out of college and most teams were recruiting me to play defense and uh, had most of my scholarship offers for defense. I actually committed to play uh, defensive line at Penn State and got my first couple uh, games under my belt on the defensive line and um, I'll tell you, I mean, like, I mean, as any player, you go in thinking you're going to do something, you're going to do something, you get that call in and it's like, hey, we're moving you over to offense and my, my, my initial reaction was like man like I, 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 did, I didn't come here to play offense I wanted to transfer I was pissed off I talked to my dad I'm like man what should I do and ultimately we came up and we were like you know what Joe Paterno has been doing this thing a hell of a lot longer than all of us and we think he knows we think he knows best and um, trust in that decision and he told me when he moved me over he's like listen we, we, need, a, we need a center and um, we want to make you the starting center this year so go in attack this thing and get after it and I ended up winning the job coming out of the spring and never looked back from there
0: so besides the obvious differences between offensive and defensive lines what was the hardest transition moving from a a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman especially at center where you have the ball in your hands every play
1: well, it's funny because, like, uh, I mean, size-wise, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously the right size to be center. But, like, coming out of high school, I played both ways. and I played offensive tackle. so I never really had a snap. So that was probably the hardest thing for me, right, It's just learning how to snap. I remember, like, uh, taking my first couple snaps with Morelli and like, in a live practice and we're fumbling snaps. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And eventually we obviously ended up getting it worked out. But that was probably the hardest thing coming over. Once you start playing the game, I mean, the game's the game. Offense is – Obviously different than defense, but I think playing defense at first and playing defensive line at first helped me become a better offensive player. Just because I knew what to expect, I knew what I knew why defenses played certain ways, I knew why they held certain gaps, I knew why they ran certain blitzes, and and, and what triggered those certain blitzes. So it was it was it was pretty seamless transition for me to be able to see the game from an offensive perspective.
0: All right, so I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit and ask you to think of a story or two from your days at Penn state and one when I was, uh, you know, doing a little research on you that came up multiple times was you you dressed up as Santa Claus during some, uh, Penn state Christmas party. tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it was kind of an annual tradition before me. It was Spice Adams. So you guys at Big Ten Network know very well. Um, Spice kind of did it. And then they were looking for a new guy. I was a freshman. I was a round fella, (laughs) as you would say. And, um, had a good personality and they were like, man, you'd be great for this. And so the annual thing was, uh, all the coaches, kids, um, obviously they were on the trip for the bowl game every year. And so they needed somebody to play Santa Claus so they could, you know, call the kids up, get the kids in the spirit for Christmas. And so I took over that job my, my first couple years. And then I, I forget who took over it after me, but I, I remember taking it over from spice and, uh, that's a tough person to live up to. There's no question about that.
0: I was going to say, have you seen Spice lately? He's been blowing up the internet. He's got his own kind of alter ego going on.
1: Oh, it's unbelievable, man. He's killing it. He's killing <laughs> the
0: game. All right, so uh, you have any other stories from, obviously, as an outgoing guy from your time at Penn State, you had uh, a lot of noteworthy names and, and teammates especially, just with uh, a lot of successful teams at Penn State. Is there anything else off the top of your head you can think of?
1: Uh, one of my favorite stories is just kind of messing around with the media. So, like, my whole senior year – um, another big personality, especially on social media as well. And those people at Penn state knows personality wells, rich Ornberger um, played in the NFL a bunch of years, great football player, great guy. One of my best friends. Um, we were roommates in college and he, you know, had, had, had a few little, you know, interactions with Joe where Joe kind of wanted to keep him out of the media. He just didn't, didn't trust him in the media per se. So, Um, what we did my whole senior year was every Tuesday or so I was captain. I had, I had a national conference call with all the different, you know, media members leading up to that week. And so, um, for the whole season that my senior year, Rich Ornberger imitated me on those, on the, on those conference calls. So to the national media, he pretended me. It eventually came out of the hat. We're going into the last game of the season, getting ready to play with Michigan State and, He does the conference call, and one of the questions was like, oh, tell me a little bit about Rich Ormberger." And so, like, he started kind of stumbling over his words a little bit. People started – he lost the accent a little bit, lost the voice change a little bit. And then they they had – like, our our media got Jeff Nelson had to put out a retraction statement, and it ended up being this big deal. We thought we were going to be in a bunch of trouble with Coach Paterno. And and, uh, he called us over before practice. He's like, hey, I heard you guys uh, imitated – I heard you guys imitated uh or Rich. I heard you imitated AQ's voice on the on the conference call. He was like, "Yeah, coach, I'm sorry about that." He's like, "I love it. I love everything you guys did." Man, we were we all just kind of laughed about it at the end, but it was pretty good, pretty pretty good. I thought we we all thought we were going to be in trouble and it ended up being, you know, a good laughing story at the end.
0: That's hilarious. How did uh Jeff Nelson feel about that? Cuz I have met him many times now and he's always uh been one of the friendlier SID's I've come across. But how did he take that?
1: Yeah, I think he was – I don't think he was real happy with it because, I mean, he had to put the retraction out. and I think <laughs> he thought Joe was going to be upset, and I think it, he thought it was going to be a bigger deal than it was going to be, and it ended up just kind of blowing over, and Joe loved it. Joe, I think Joe loved messing with the media a little bit too in his day.
0: That's some good stuff. Um, so how about the yeah. current current era of Penn State football? I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, James Franklin has it rolling. I, I assume you, you follow them as close as you can. Uh, just sure. Give me some thoughts on, on what's currently been built in Happy Valley.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome to watch. I mean, as an alumni you want to see your your your, your alma mater succeed and uh it, it has been fun to watch. I mean, they've really opened it up. The game has changed so much. The college game, I mean, it's changed so much since I've played. Um, it's gone all this to this spread and everything and um you know, this Coach Moorhead who came in and kinda started this RPO deal and um the offense they've been running the last couple of years, I mean it's it's taken kind of the college game by storm and it's it's been fun to watch it's really opened up the game and you know as a, as a fan they love it you know because you're putting up 30 40 50 points a game and um tons of offense tons of you know great stuff for the fans to watch and um it's, it's been awesome to watch it's been awesome to watch saquon Barkley. He's one of the best i've ever watched um got a chance to meet him when they played the fiesta bowl out here last year and seen him in person and talking to him i mean he's just humble and um as good of a guy as I've ever met in that type type of stardom. So, um, all in all, Coach Franklin's done a fantastic job um, recruiting, coaching, putting a product on the field, and uh, it's been awesome to watch.
0: All right, with the NFL draft just happening a little over a week ago, I wanted to get into your experience being drafted in the NFL um, nine years ago. You were drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, being a Pittsburgh native, was that – Something you ever expected would happen?
1: No, I didn't. You know, I was—I kind of always hoped that. I grew up a huge Steelers fan, and when it happened, I was couldn't have been more ecstatic. In the end, I kind of, looking back on it, I mean, I—I kind of, it was like a blessing and a curse, right? Because being from your hometown and being a rookie in the NFL is one of the hardest things. People don't realize. I mean, it's. You you go from playing your college season, then you go to working out. You don't get a break at all because you go straight from playing, straight to working out to get ready for the combine, to get ready for your all-star games, whatever it may be. And then you go from there to straight into mini camp. And then you go from there straight into, you know, the off season, then you got to get ready for training camp. So you're literally going a, a year and a half straight and, then to have your hometown and friends and family kind of tugging at you and pulling at you and you know everybody knowing who you are it just adds an insurmountable amount of pressure on top of that. Let alone trying to make it as a seventh round pick on a defending Super Bowl champion team, right? So um, it was it was an extremely hard situation to be put into, and I looking back on it probably didn't handle it in the best of ways, but ultimately it also shaped my career because I made enough of an impression on Bruce Arians and Harold Goodwin, who ultimately ended up being my offensive line coach and Larry airline, and um, numerous Steeler coaches who I ended up having later in my career in Indianapolis and also here in Arizona.
0: Right, so you kind of alluded to it there, but you're drafted in 2009, bounced around a little bit. Uh, I believe you got your first start in 2012 with the Colts. You hadn't. You didn't really become a regular starter until – the last two seasons, and you've had a ton of success in Arizona. So, I mean, just that sure. whole process had to take a huge amount of perseverance, I'd imagine.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I, I always knew, I mean, as, as a one offensive lineman in the league, and, and, you know, the big knock on me coming out of college was that my arms were a little too short, and it's never really bothered me or hindered me, but in a scout's eyes, it's a huge risk. And I always, I mean, even to this day, I have that little chip on my shoulder that I'm going to have to overcome that because that's ultimately the way you know, scouts and GMs think. So, um, yeah. I mean, in 2012, I end up getting my first start. I end up starting five or six games or whatever it was, playing in all well, 16. And then, you know, I end up starting a bunch of games at guard. The next year after I got traded to Baltimore, I go back to India and start a bunch of more games. So I think it was like six or seven more games there. And then I come out to Arizona and finally end up starting. You know, two full seasons, the last two seasons, and probably playing the best ball of my career. Um, so. That's kind of the way it is, and you know, you, you alluded to it, and perseverance, and just keep fighting, keep grinding. That's kind of the way I was brought up, and, um, and that's the way I still am. I mean, I, I kind of look at it like they're trying to replace me every year, so I attack every offseason the same way, and they attack it like they're trying to replace me, even if they aren't. And uh, I just uh, I work that much harder to try and better my craft and better my skill.
0: Yeah, you mentioned some tough days in Pittsburgh, and it's obviously been a long road for you, but when would you say – you're most frustrated during your NFL career at what point?
1: Oh, probably, uh, most frustrated. Yeah. I mean, probably, I I mean, I'd, I'd probably go to two different spots. Right. So probably, uh, my first year in Pittsburgh when I'm like coming out and I think I got the world by the balls and, you know, and then it ends up, you know, being a huge struggle for me. I end up being on the practice squad all year. Don't, don't, have nearly the success early on as i thought i would i thought i would or hoped that i would um and then probably in 2014 where i kind of you know i was playing really good football and i was on the colts team they ended up ultimately making the afc championship game and um i ended up you know getting a pretty bad high ankle sprain the very last game of the regular season and you know, I end up having to miss the first playoff game, and then I'm battling through a high ankle the rest of the playoffs into the AFC Championship game, and just kind of frustrating as a, as a player.
0: Sure. You you mentioned Bruce Arians earlier as a coach. Yeah. You obviously made an impression on, and then he became your head coach with the Cardinals uh, the last, I believe, five seasons. He's he's coached there and then just recently retired. Uh, how much of your success do you attribute to him?
1: A lot. I mean, I, I, I think the world of Bruce, I, I, I really do, and um, he means so much to me as a coach and as a brother. I mean, we've we've become good friends over the years, and um, I think he's trusted in me, and I've trusted in him, and it's been a very good working relationship and uh, personal relationship from that standpoint. And um, you know, it, it's 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 funny when he retired, and you know, I reached out to him, and just how you said, you know, I mean, how much of that you owe to him, and that. This, that and I I kind of felt that way and um I, I sent him a text message and said something along the lines of like you know just how much he meant to me and you know when when, when guys maybe weren't looking at me as a starter and giving me that opportunity you gave me that first opportunity which kind of spring spring rocketed my career and uh you know he wrote back and he's like he's like I didn't do anything buddy you earned everything you got and you know that that meant the world to me coming from him and um, I, I, I think he's one of the sharpest offensive minds this game has ever seen and um, his success is only uh, documented as we've seen
0: yeah, that's good stuff and he you know he kind of got that chance obviously you know with the Colts uh, when Pagano had the illness he kind of had that underdog story going with him as well uh, I watched a little bit of the documentary series that followed the Cardinals around a few seasons ago not, not a ton of it but he stood out as a, as a funny character what was it like having the pretty much like a hard knocks type crew following you guys around
1: yeah, it was interesting. I don't think it was necessarily uh, as intense from the guys that I spoke to about it as hard knocks, but, you know, having cameras in the meeting rooms, having cam- cameras kind of watching your every move, I mean, it was um, it was interesting. There's no doubt about that, I mean, because that's something that you don't really expect to have in the NFL. And when you do have it, it's few and far between, and you got to handle it the right way. And I think the Cardinals did a good job of kind of handling that the right way. And, um, you know, giving them a full all access look basically to behind the scenes stuff that most of the um, fans don't really realize to go into it. And so um, I think it's great for both sides. I think it's great for for the players and getting, you know, notoriety from that standpoint. I also think it's great for the fans to get that perspective for those of us there, or for, for those of them that think that, you know, we just go out and, you know, run into each other on Sundays without doing anything on, you know, the other days. So, it's definitely good.
0: Right. As someone who never played football, I, I love those kind of shows to kind of get the true behind the scenes look at what it's like. It's cool. Um, and obviously, as the center for the Cardinals now speeding up and fast forwarding to this most recent NFL draft, you know, you're going to be asked a lot about your new quarterback, Josh Rosen. I'm sure you already have been. And since you guys just drafted him out of UCLA as a guy who, I mean, I know you don't, you don't seem afraid to speak your mind. You're outgoing. What do you think about, Josh Rosen's personality and tendency to maybe not hold back his thoughts on any and all subjects.
1: Well, it's funny. I, was, I my, my good buddy does a podcast as well, and I did his podcast last week, uh, Pat McAfee, um, as sure. part of Barstool Sports, and um, he asked the same question, and, and, and it's funny because we, we talked about it, and we talked about how the media kind of set you up for failure on draft day to these top you know first-round picks, because At the end of the day, the guy got drafted 10th overall, but there was a point where a lot of people thought that he was going to go number one overall, correct? And so whenever you sit there and you go 10th when you expect it to be one, two, three, four, somewhere in that range, and you go 10th, and they they come up to you right away, and they're like, oh, what's your thoughts about going to Arizona? And it's like, he says, oh, I'm pissed off, you know, and I I feel like nine teams made a mistake. And it's like, well, what do you want the kid to say? Oh, I'm pumped that I just dropped nine spots in the draft and, you know, fell to ten like nobody's happy about that obviously you're happy and it's one of the happiest days of your life you just you know earned your family a lot of money and now you become basically the future of this organization at quarterback which he probably didn't get a chance to say because he was so caught up in the fact that um he's bummed out of dropping nine spots or eight spots or whatever whatever it was but um, I think you just get put in a position where you're set up for failure because it's like no matter you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You're gonna get criticized regardless because millions of people are watching it. And um, I mean, I think he handled it the right way. I mean, I, honestly, I and mean, I think he's gonna handle it the right way. He's a, he's a smart kid. Um, he's obviously super uber talented, and he's gonna do a great job when he comes in. And um, he'll know that when he speaks now, he's he's got he's got. Um, he's got to speak for 53 guys and not just one anymore.
0: Right. Is there a difference in an NFL locker room filled with veterans like yourself on how a player coming in is handled like that? Someone will, who will speak their mind as opposed to like someone, you know, who might just put their head down and not say anything.
1: Well, it's funny because like, I mean, it's a different world now. I mean, whenever I came in, that's the way I kind of tried to approach it. I tried to just kind of do my job, stay quiet, stay out of anything and just kind of whatever the veterans wanted, just kind of do it. Right. And that's, it's kind of gone away from that a little bit. They've gone away from that aspect, but he's got as good of a mentor as he's going to have in Byron left, which who did it the right way as a player and is now one heck of a football coach. And he'll be able to lean on him for advice on everything on how to handle everything, which he's done, you know, as a player and now as a coach. So um, all he's got to do is just lean on, on Byron and, um he's got a heck of heck of a group of guys ahead of him right now and Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon and um whether we call on him this year or down the road I mean I think uh, he's got three really good guys to kind of you know bounce questions off all
0: right it'll be interesting to follow I'm glad you mentioned uh, your buddy McAfee did did you think he was crazy when he retired from football to join up at Barstool or what were your thoughts on that whole situation
1: absolutely I mean I think we all did but at the end of the day man he has most people don't have a plan when they retire from the NFL and he had a plan and he has attacked it and I think he's far exceeded all expectations that anybody thought um he was going to be able to do post football and uh he's doing a great job he's one of my best friends he was best man at my first wedding and um yeah I mean we, we we go way back we talk all the time we FaceTime we have a good time and um He's killing it. I mean, he's doing a heck of a job with building
0: his brand. Yeah, they've really built something cool in in Indy there with Barstool Heartland. Um, All right, just a couple more questions, AQ. Uh, First off, you kind of mentioned the the whole having a plan after football, the idea of having a plan. What do you think your plan is, uh, or do you have one going forward after, uh, you know, once the day finally comes that you'll have to hang it up?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that day's coming sooner than later. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I'm coming up on year 10, and, starting to kind of figure that out but I'm not I don't want to I don't want to throw my eggs in any post-career basket yet just because I've watched guys that kind of do that and I feel like they get to that career that next career sooner than later when you don't put all your eggs on football because at the end of the day football only lasts for so long and so from that standpoint that's what I'm going to do I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket until there is no more and um, moving forward I think I think I want to stay somewhere in the realm of football whether it get into some type of an analyst job or um, broadcasting or even coaching. I'm not sure which route, but, I mean, I think at the age of, I don't know, let's say I finish in two, three years, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm sitting at 35. I don't want to go into an entry level and compete against some guys 22 and start at square one when I just worked my tail off for 12 years, 13 years, whatever it is in the NFL, and then have to go back and, you know, started off in a finance job fighting against some kid that's 21 or 22 it just it just doesn't make sense to me so football is all I've ever known I want to stay in that that realm of thought and, and and one way shape or form
0: yeah and you mentioned uh how that day is coming sooner rather than later it's been a decade in the NFL obviously you play a very physical position just how's the how's the body feeling overall how much do you think you have left in the tank
1: knock on wood it feels pretty good I mean I've had I've had some surgeries the last couple of years and I've had some some injuries to deal with but I mean and none of them has caused me to miss any time I've been able to fight through them um, had core muscle surgery on both sides each of the last two years and uh, separated my shoulder week seven fought through that all year last year got some got some minor foot issues that I'll probably end up having to get cleaned up at some point post career um, but for the most part everything feels pretty good i broke every finger obviously playing in my position um, so probably in the next 15 20 years when we shake hands they'll be pointing in different directions <laughs> um but other than that everything feels pretty good i mean my health feels pretty good i'm still i feel like i'm still playing at a high level i feel like i'm uh, i can still train at a high level which is half the battle you can't play at a high level unless you pre- uh, prepare that way in the off season and i'm still able to do that so as long as i'm still able to do that and as long as they're still willing to pay me to do that, then that's that's the way I'm going to attack
0: it. I like how you said it so casually. Like you broke every finger. Like that's a that's a <laughs> thing that every day people go through.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, in our position, it's pretty pretty common.
0: All right, AQ, uh, just a couple lighter questions to uh, to wrap up. First off, being a center, only you and the quarterback really touch the ball every single offensive play. Is that is that just stressful? Like the essence of that, because you could pretty much blow a game on any given snap. Does that ever creep into your your head?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, but I, I, I completely embrace it. I mean, I, I love the fact that the play basically starts with me every single play. And um, it's a unique position because, you know, there's two guards on the offensive line, there's two tackles on the offensive line, there's only one center. So there's really only 32 of us starting at our position in the world. And uh, I embrace the hell out of that.
0: All right. And uh, last question What does the AQ stand for, and how did you kind of adopt that moniker for life?
1: Yeah, so it stands for Alan Quay um plays uh my father's uh father's middle name so my grandfather's middle name and um so it's, a, it's a, that that side of it's a family name and but my dad and i have the same first name just different middle names and so we got to the point where we you know i i i'm Starting high school or whatever, I guess it was middle school, from high school, and I start picking up the phone, and our voices start to sound alike, and people would be like, Alan, I'd be like, no, this is AQ. And uh, I think I actually even just said, no, this is Q, and then people just started picking up AQ and um, just kind of rolled from there.
0: All right, good stuff, AQ. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to join me, especially at a very pivotal moment in your life. That, that's really cool, and uh, congrats on that. Congrats on all the success both in college and in the NFL and uh hopefully talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks for talking
0: to you. All right, thanks once again to AQ Shipley for joining me. I feel like it's always the linemen that have the biggest personalities, the most outgoing personalities, and it shouldn't really be a surprise. I mean they form those bonds with the their units throughout their careers and, and we don't know how tight knit those offensive and defensive lines can get so A.Q. Shipley is certainly no different fun guy to talk to, I'm sure a fun guy to sit down and have a beverage with and I appreciate him for joining me especially at a time, as we mentioned multiple times when uh, every minute is precious as his daughter is about to come into this world, so once again a shout out to A.Q. for that and also a shout out to Wes White for producing the show as always, he's the man, best in the business appreciate it Wes and I appreciate everyone out there for listening so we will continue to bring you good stuff here on the take 10 podcast so continue to listen and that'll do it for this week's episode we'll talk to you next week here on the take 10 podcast